This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Deep Dives podcast here on the No Ceilings NBA Podcast Network. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson, and today we have the conductor of chaos himself back in the building, Tyler Rucker. Tyler, how are you doing this fine afternoon? Nick, I'm doing good. Um, as we're recording this, we got 30 days left until the draft, so um, it's been a little chaotic around here, and I'm, I'm excited to talk some more hoops as always with you. How are you doing, sir? Man, it's 30 of the most chaotic days of the calendar. It's like the... Th- 30 shortest and 30 longest days of the entire year for, for people in the draft realm. It's going to be wild. Yeah, it, it, it's unbelievable. I feel like the days aren't long enough. And then when you try to make them longer, it's just not possible. So, um, it you know, day by day, we're taking it. Um, home stretch, the light at the end of the tunnel. But I'm excited for everything we got going on at No Ceilings. And I'm excited for the draft. It feels different. Now that we have an actual order, I got some energy. Yeah, it- you and I both have the same method for dealing with the not enough time in the day, which is another cup of caffeine and another 4 a.m. Uh, bedtime. So, you know, yes. we figure it out somehow. Yes. It, it, it's sad, the coffee intake this time of the year. I feel like I'm just drinking water and I'm like, OK, come on. You know, doesn't have the kick it used to. So, um, but yeah, you know, that's probably finish this and have another cup. There we go. We'll, we'll be ra- partying. So, yeah, we don't we don't have a problem here at all. No, not no, not no, even no, no. Not, no, fresh pots. We're We're good. Perfect. So today we're going to do a couple of things, and we're going to start out with a review of an article that we both recently contributed to for NoCeilingsNBA.com. So later on today, we'll get into a mock draft, but starting off at the top with the discussion that has been loudly permeating the draft space in the few days since the draft lottery, which is, I think pretty much everybody at this point knows what the San Antonio Spurs are going to do with the number one overall pick. Brian Windhorst went so far as to basically just talk as if Victor was already a member of the San Antonio Spurs when he did the interview. It was like, yeah, so what do you think about your Spurs teammates? It's like, not quite yet, but sure. We all know that's coming. So Victor Wembanyama is going to be the number one overall pick, but the number two overall pick went to the Charlotte Hornets, and that has left us in a fascinating place where – the consensus number two prospect for basically the entire year has been G League Ignite point guard Scoot Henderson. But Brandon Miller made a case for himself as the number three prospect in this draft pretty early on. And now that the Charlotte Hornets have ended up with the number two pick, there is some speculation about what Charlotte is actually going to do with the number two overall pick. So let's just sort of start off with your thoughts. And your thoughts are in the article on noceilingsnba.com. Totally free. Check it out if you haven't already. So what are your thoughts on what the Charlotte Hornets should do with the number two overall pick? You know, I, I'm still going with Scoot at two. And I understand that this is going to be the topic of conversation moving forward because we all know Victor's going to be the top pick. And now we're all focused on, okay, what does Charlotte do at two? Like the, the draft is now starting at number two because you have Scoot Henderson, you have Brandon Miller. Um, a lot of people have Scoot two on their boards which you might say okay is that best player available are we going bpa when it comes to the draft brandon miller might be a three for a lot of people and it's like okay that's a that's a better fit when we're talking about the hornets and i understand that reasoning but um you know i i'm still going with scoot henderson because i I think he's got franchise changing potential i think he's a you know i think he's going to be a franchise point guard and i think that highly of scoot and i understand that there's a lot of you know buzz about Brandon Miller is probably going to be the consensus because I it seems like it makes a lot of sense. Charlotte's needed shooting over the years. I've been dying for them to get some shooting around. Obviously, the Mellow Ball is a really talented, you know, point guard in this league that's really exciting. I'm not trying to downplay his ability, but if you put Brandon Miller next to him, you're you're getting shooting, you're getting length and size. But 
I think there's a world in which Scoot Henderson's upside might be a little bit higher than LaMelo, and that's not trying to downplay LaMelo's ability. I just think that highly of Scoot, and I think you take him and you try to see if it can work together, and if not, you know, you see what happens. You, you see if, if LaMelo's got a market around there, and I know there's some Hornet fans that are just furious about that idea, but it's like Charlotte, like I, I love Hornets fans, but Charlotte's not in a position to pass up, you know, best player available. And, you know, Gavoni even reported today on ESPN, like within his article, he said Mitch Kupchak is, is a big component of, you know, private workouts and how they perform in person. And I understand that. So it's one of those like, okay, it, it might come down to that. And it's going to be interesting moving forward. So I do want to talk about the fit discussion before we sort of move to the next section here. Metcalf mentioned this in the article, but it is interesting in the sense that I think a lot of people just sort of assume that the fit won't work because, hey, it's two point guards. They both need the ball in their hands, right? But, you know, they they attack court in different ways on offense, right? You know, Scoot, a huge part of his game is just how much of a technician he's become as a mid-range shooter. You know, he's exceptional at driving to the rim, whereas, you know, LaMelo is pretty great at driving to the rim, but really the vast majority of what he does best is, you know, space the floor from beyond the three-point line and pass, right? And, you know, Scoot's an exceptional passer as well. And also given that LaMelo is 6'6", you know, some of the people who have size concerns about Scoot, and to be clear, I'm not one of them, but, you know, some people who have those size concerns, those are mitigated a bit by, you know, playing in a backcourt with a dude who's, you know, 6'6", 6'7". And granted, you know, LaMelo Ball is not exactly a defensive world beater, but, you know, if you put Scoot on the best opposing guard defensively, Scoot's definitely going to dig in and, you know, give that guy his money's worth, right? So I think the fit between the two of them actually isn't as poor as some people think. I think a lot of it is just sort of the assumption of, oh, well, both of these guys need the ball in their hands, right? It's like, I don't think that, you know, it's as much Scoot Henderson taking the ball out of LaMelo Ball's hands as it is Scoot Henderson taking the ball out of PJ Washington and Kelly Oubre's hands. I think that's a good thing for the Charlotte Hornets. I I think the the old school mentality of, you know, there's a point guard, there's a shooting guard, like it's died. You know, this is a combo league or combo guard driven league right now. I mean, we're getting even another dimension of position list when it comes to now, you know, it used to be like, okay, now you're getting forwards who could potentially play small ball five. And now I think it's just like, okay, if you get two guards that can handle the ball, play off of each other, go for it. It doesn't need to be your, you know, your typical Clay Thompson, Ray Allen shooting guards. Like it, it, some teams are just rolling with it where it's like, you know, I, it it might be a poor example off the top of my head, but like Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, like obviously Mitchell's more of a two, but I think those guys are having such success because they can handle the ball. They can run the offense as kind of a playmaker decision maker. And and I think maybe this is something that could unlock a a better version of LaMelo where it's like, okay, you push him to the two. Scoot is, you know, your primary ball handler, if you want to put it that way. And I'm not trying to say we're taking the the ball out of LaMelo's hands, but maybe he's defensively, he's going up against twos. He, now you have this six, seven plus playmaker on the wing who, you know, he's shown that he can play off the ball. So I'm right there with you, Nick. I, I don't think this is that, you know, sloppy of a fit. Um, I think you're kind of in a win-win situation. If you're Charlotte, you're either going to be really excited about, drafting scoot henderson and and finding another just really high upside you know i i still think scoot could be one of the best point guards in the league moving forward so you find that or and maybe it works with lamello and you have a dangerous backcourt or you get brandon miller who's a lethal wing but i i just think the upside and where i have scoot right now i've said it all year i would take scoot number two no matter who was picking and i still feel that way so before we move on to the mock draft i just want to go over my let's just say uh i think insane wouldn't actually be too strong given how far i went with this take but you know i tried to couch it in the article itself but there is a part of me that feels very concerned for charlotte hornets fans that they're in a similar position that kings fans were in and i count myself as one of that group but the position kings fans were in five years ago where okay you know there's best player in college basketball you know 610 forward who you know can rebound and shoot right you know i'm i'm making a mishmash of this comparison to just get the point across here but you know the idea being that vladi divak opted for marvin bagley the third instead of luka Doncic, and i don't think brandon miller is the same player as marvin bagley you know i don't think that scoot henderson is the same player as luka Doncic, but i think you know the sort of 
there is a win-win element to this, but I think there's a chance that Scoot ends up being someone who, you know, we look back on, like we look back on Luka Doncic, right? Like, why, why did you pass up on this, you know, once in a generation kind of, you know, lead guard talent? And, you know, again, Brandon Miller is so much easier of a fit in the modern NBA than Marvin Bagley, which is where this comparison falls apart. But, you know, on the basis of, okay, we're not going to take this, you know, exceptional generational lead guard type talent because, you know, we already have De'Aaron Fox on the roster. We already have Lamella Ball on the roster, right? You know, not taking Luka Doncic set the Kings back five years. And, you know, thankfully they've finally gotten over that mountaintop, you know, made it back into the playoffs. But that, that really set the franchise back quite a bit, just not taking the guy who fell into their laps. And I'm worried that the Charlotte Hornets might be in a similar situation here. Yeah, and it's not even, you know, you could even argue that draft, you know, Phoenix not taking Luca. I mean, it, they, for the exact same reasons, like they had Devin Booker and the idea was, oh, is this going to be too many, you know, guys that need the ball in their hands on one roster? Um, obviously, you know, DeAndre Ayton was a, an important get too for them because it was a center that they needed someone to, you know, man the paint and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, I, it's, it, I, I read what you said and I was like, Nick's onto something right there. And, and I know people are going to be like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. Yes. None of them are Luca. We get that. And, and I still think Luca's got one of the best resumes of all time when it comes to a prospect going into the draft. Now, Scoot or, you know, Brandon Miller aren't in that conversation when it comes to just like their resumes as a prospect. But I, I really do think passing it like you cannot find I'm tired of hearing everyone say like, oh, you find a six two guard anywhere. No, you don't find this one. This one does not come around a lot. And um, I still think, you know, people are getting are sleeping on a little bit of Scoot's been playing in the G League for two years. You know, yeah. I think that's going to be one of the most important assets for his you know development as a rookie i think he's been getting punched in the mouth against older guys in the g league and nba experience for two years so um i just think you know i I, and i love both of them as prospects i love him and brandon miller i think i truly do think it's a win-win for charlotte and you know we could sit here and run down the list of like reasons why brandon miller could work in Charlotte and it's probably going to make more sense. But I just think Scoot Henderson and LaMelo is worth an extended look. Like, I think you got to take Scoot and see if this can work because of the way the NBA is, is heading right now with it's just have there's combo guards everywhere. It's, it's turning into a point where it's like, if you could just play and teams are confident in your ability and you, you know, you're not going to get played off the court, they're going to find a way to get you on there. So, um, that's just where I'm at right now. And, and it would not shock me if Brandon Miller still ends up going second overall. But that's why we got, you know, 30 days left and, and until anarchy because there's a lot of stuff that can change. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if that's where it sort of shakes out. But I'm glad that you thought I might have been onto something because I thought maybe I'd gone completely, completely insane with that particular take. But hey, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's so difficult just because you know, Brandon Miller looks more like a 2023 NBA player, right? Yes. And I think that's a lot of the pitfall here. But, you know, we can talk about Scoot being 6'2". We can also talk about him having a 6'10 wingspan. We can also talk about him, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the reason and EuroLeague and G League are different, but they're both miles and miles ahead of college basketball competition-wise, right? And, you know, with Scoot and Luca, there is a similarity between these guys as teenagers you know right 17 18 you know luca even 15 16 right competing against professionals in one of the best professional leagues in the world and in both of their cases you know scoot wasn't quite you know euro league mvp right but you know, the idea being you know these are two guys who were at the top of the class in professional leagues not just you know in college basketball right that's there's a difference in competition level there that I think is very easy for people to underrate because, you know, the G league is kind of a new thing. And, you know, this is, I think even more true with OTE, but even with the G league, it's like people are sort of getting used to this as an avenue for prospects to travel down to become professionals, you know, and sort of similar to what we saw, you know, when the NBA changed rules and guys started getting drafted out of high school, right. You know, there were quite a few busts early on. There were also, quite a few moments where, you know, say Kevin Garnett went with the fifth overall pick. If Kevin Garnett had spent one year in college, he would have been number one pick easily. Right. Yeah. Like 
who who would have even you know knocked him off that throne, right? And the idea being, okay, you know, this is a new environment. People aren't used to evaluating prospects in this environment. But ultimately, if you just say, look, the G League is a professional league, and Scoot, you know, was one of the best players in this professional league as a seventeen-year-old last year, and clearly one of the best players in the league this year as an eighteen-year-old. Right. That's that's a level of competition that Brandon Miller will not face until he enters the NBA. So, you know, that's sort of a level of certainty, I feel, with Scoot that is just, you know, maybe other people feel the opposite, where we're so much more used to evaluating guys in the college basketball prospect process that we see this from Brandon Miller. We feel more confident in what he can do than Scoot putting up these numbers against guys in the G League. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Maybe no one thinks that way, but it certainly feels like there are a lot of people who are discounting the level of competition that Scoot faced versus level of competition Brandon Miller faced. It, absolutely. I, I think that's there's this bad, you know, this cloud over the G League still. And it, it's gotten better over the years, but I, I think a lot of people still look at it as, as it's a negative. And it's like, no, it's probably the one of the best rising developmental leagues and, and resources for NBA organizations that they have. And if you have any doubt, I mean, go watch how quickly Leonard Miller got better from the beginning of the year. I, I watched him in person the beginning of the year. I was like, oh boy. I was like, here we go. Like, this is going to be a rough one. And at the end of the year, I was like, this is a completely different player. Like, just absolutely awesome story. Um, Jaden Hardy, I think last year was getting some, a lot of the same just kind of concerns, questions. And now everyone was praising his glory as a rookie. And they're like, whoa, this looks like they got something special. I'm like, yeah, there's, the G League knows what they're doing. Like they're putting these guys in positions to be uncomfortable, get out of their comfort zone so that you can get ready for the NBA cuz you're going to get punched in the mouth as a rookie. Like you got to be ready to to be more versatile and and you know, your weaknesses can't be just glaring or else you're never going to play. So I think Scoot, you know, shout out to Nathan. Um he had him on the Home and Away podcast. He had head coach Jason Hart of the G League and you know, Hart kind of praised Scoot's development and said he kind of gives him vibes of Jason Kidd just as of like how versatile he is. And I think that's, it's a huge name to throw around for a point guard. And, you know, I, I, I just think like, also I said, Leonard Miller, City Sissoko, same story, how much better he got throughout the year. So I think the G League is quickly becoming just like having a really impressive resume with like, look how much better these guys got. Look how much, you know, look how ready they are for the next level. Um, Dyson Daniels last year, he was a top 10 pick. So I think Scoot is going to be battle tested. He's going to be ready to go. And I'm not trying to downplay college hoops because Brandon Miller was, you know, almost averaging 20 a game in the SEC. That's big time. But I, I'm right there with you, Nick. I think the G League is a, a developmental, a competition league that's getting a little slept on still. And I know one thing Scoot's been going up against grown men for two years. He's going to be ready to roll. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with the mock draft right after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, so let's now move on to a quick mock draft. So we're just going to do the lottery for today. But unlike with, you know, the previous mock drafts of the past, you know, 10 months or so, we actually have an order. We don't have to go to Tankathon and make one up and hope that it comes close to being what we actually get. We do have an order this time. So I'm going to let you have the first overall pick. Based on our discussion over the previous 20 minutes, I think we'll be able to get through the first two picks pretty quickly. <laughs> Yeah, the absolutely. Picks are probably gonna go pretty fast, but okay. Well, I'll just I'll just take Victor. Let's yeah, and for everyone being like another <laughs> mock draft. It's yes, this is what we do this time of the year. Like we got thirty days left. I'm doing a new mock draft every day in my mind, and I change it up pretty much every time because I'm trying to 
you know, entertain myself, educate myself. So Nick, I'll just, I'll take, I'll make it easy. We're going to take Victor at one. Great. We're going to take Scoot at two for the Charlotte Hornets. Now we can start. Now we can start. (laughs) Now the draft begins. (laughs) Um, Gosh, Portland at three. So I'm, you know, I'm not saying I have any little breadcrumbs or anything. So don't anyone overreact to this, but I think Portland's going to keep three. That's, oh. that's my hot take right now. I think they're going to, I think they're going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of rumors, a lot of NBA central rumors, a lot of buzz from some, some people around there that I think throw out some bad rumors that they're going to trade it. And I think they're going to come down to a point where, you know, if Brandon Miller is on the board, they might say, Hey, we're going to jump at Brandon Miller. We're going to take him. So I'm going to take Brandon Miller to the trailblazers. Cause I think you add him with shade and sharp. Woo. That is going to be really fun offensive explosion i mean i i love the idea of him going there so i know portland wants to win now i know they want to get dame a star but i'm not convinced you know if you could get someone like brandon miller at three i'm just not convinced that you would pass up on that so i'm gonna i'm gonna say portland stays there they take brandon miller that's fascinating i almost led into portland with we can assume that they're going to trade this pick but not for (laughs) mock draft exercises so i can't we can't project trades this is that's the golden rule of of draft season you cannot project trades and i can't stand when people do it oh well i'm glad that i saved myself from uh from earning your anger and then you know completely completely screw that up by going back and earning your anger anyway so that's nice (laughs) no i'll never be mad at you nick come on i'm never gonna be mad at you wow that's that's a lease that you should not have given me to (laughs) (laughs) anyway um no i think the brandon miller fit just makes so much sense for portland that yeah i mean it'll be interesting because i think you know based on the same sort of buzz and again you know aggregators i don't have any sources here you know this is just this is me trying to make an educated guess about the direction that things will go but it seems more and more likely that charlotte is going to take Brandon Miller and uh, sorry, gonna yeah, gonna take Brandon Miller. Okay, Portland, Portland, where I was going. Or yes. no, Charlotte. No, there we go. Charlotte is going Portland. to take we're Brandon out. Miller, and therefore Portland cannot take Brandon Miller. That's that's the sentence yes. I was trying to get out. Okay, great. But yeah, I think if Brandon Miller is still on the board, it'll be a lot easier for Portland to make that choice. I think ultimately that Damian, you know, I don't think it's, you know, a particularly hot take to say that Damian Lillard has a lot more equity in Portland than LaMelo Ball has in Charlotte. I think that if one of those teams is going to take Scoot because screw it, he's the best player available and we don't care if we, you know, piss off our franchise star. I think that's a decision that Charlotte will be able to make a lot more easily than Portland. Yeah, I I completely agree. I, I, you know, and it's going to be interesting because if they really want to trade it, I still would think, Portland's not probably moving that till draft night because you're trying to yeah or maybe the day or two before the draft because you're trying to pump up that value um you know they're gonna try to get a a big name back in in exchange for that and um I still believe you know if if you're smart with Portland you're probably waiting till draft night when maybe you have a couple handshakes with like okay if Scoot goes two you know we got a deal or if Brandon Miller goes Two, we got a deal. You never know because it's going to depend on what Charlotte does. But for now, I'm, I would love Brandon Miller with Portland. I think that's yeah. great with him and Shade and Sharp. Whew, that'd be really fun to, to groom together. I think it'll depend a lot on how confident Portland feels in their future. Because if we're assuming that, you know, Damian Lillard is not long for Portland in one way or another, right? Like either he gets traded soon or, you know, he's reaching his mid thirties, right? At some point, like literally everybody except apparently LeBron James, you know, will start to decline. It is, you know, mid to late thirties. And then the question becomes if you're Portland and Damian Lillard goes from all NBA type, even just from all NBA type to all-star, you are screwed because you have no long-term future at all, right? If you hold on to the pick, then you could say, okay, you know, maybe the timeline's a little weird for, you know, Damian Lillard with Brandon Miller, but, you know, once Damian Lillard becomes not, you know, all caps Damian Lillard anymore, we at least have someone to build around rather than, you know, what do you do with that roster if Damian Lillard, you know, sticks around and, you know, Portland makes a win now trade and, you know, sends the number three pick out for, you know, I don't know, name your, you know, just below or even all-star level, you know, complimentary piece like OG and Anobi, right? Just, you know, if that's the trade you make, then you're basically betting on the next two years. You're going to be so spectacular that it makes it worth it to mortgage the entire future of your franchise. And 
you know, this is a team that made the conference finals not that long ago, right? You know, it's been four years at this point, but you know, if that's the pinnacle that they reached, do you really think that you're going to turn this team into a finals contender with one win now trade? Because if you don't, you've mortgaged everything for the next half decade. I I agree. I, I mean, it's gonna be a lot of big names and it's like, who's, who are you acquiring for that pick? That's, you know, really pushing the needle. Um, they got another first, maybe they try to even package that and sweeten the deal, but you, you still got to, you know, it's not going to be one guy. One guy is not going to take the Blazers from where they're at right now to, you know, Western conference finals contender. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I, I still think you got to be really con- like intrigued about, you know, having a young core of Brandon Miller or scoot, you know, Obviously, if Scoot, if Brandon Miller goes two, I could understand if Portland moves off it. Maybe yeah. they move down and then move off it. Maybe they move down, pick up a a veteran with that pick, and then you move it. I don't know. It's a lot of really interesting scenarios, and I'm sure they're not getting a lot of sleep in Portland. Here's a thought: if Orlando decides that Scoot Henderson is really the player they need, and Brandon Miller goes two to Charlotte, is there some package around three? Uh, three and Portland's later for so three and 23 for six and 11. Is that something that either or both teams would consider? I think so. Um, only if, if Portland is convinced of like, Hey, adding two pieces, um, maybe you get a player from Orlando, but adding two pieces in the draft still makes sense. And we'll keep Dame happy. The, it, it's all going to come down to one meeting. It's going to come right. down to sitting down across the table from Dame, Damian Lillard and being like, "What? where are we at? And from that, they're going to have to figure it out. But, you know, and it might not be one meeting. It might be one meeting and Dame's kind of like, well, and then they're going to like, okay, we need to, t- we need to have an answer. Like, this is what yeah. we're thinking. So a lot of time to go. I know we, we focus way too much on that. I have a feeling we're going to end up writing a, a very lengthy article about Portland. So, um, <laughs> Do the yeah, Keegan Murray right. dilemma again, except making yeah, Portland exactly. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Exactly. Houston hit me with it. What do you got, Nick? I am surprised by how little I'm struggling with this. Okay. I, I like think this. given how the ball, the given how the board has fallen so far, I think this is easy Jairus Walker for me. I think he helps out with a lot of the ball movement stuff that Houston doesn't have. I know they have a lot of young, like power forward ish sized pieces, but I think Jairus Walker makes a lot more sense with the best of them than anyone else. I think that he, you know, he and Alperin Shangun makes a lot more sense to me than Shangun and Usman Garuba, right? Just, you know, as a general thing. And with that Rockets roster, you know, I think the thing that was missing even more than the defense, which was not great. And, you know, Jairus Walker helps with that a lot, but the ball just stuck all the time, right? It was like, okay, it's Jalen Green's turn. Okay, it's Kevin Porter Jr.'s turn. Okay, it's Alperin Shangun's turn, right? And even with Shangun, who's a spectacular passer for a center, you know, he just, I guess, having too much of an offensive mindset is not the right way to put it, but I think that's close to the idea that I'm trying to get at here with, you know, Shangun is an exceptional passer, but a lot of the time he's, you know, making that pass because, okay, I tried posting up for 10 seconds and it didn't work, so... You know, is someone going to cut and help me out here rather than like, I'm going to be perfectly happy with moving the ball, you know, when the situation calls for it, you know, being a good solid ball mover who makes the right decisions quickly. I think Jairus Walker really helps make up for the fact that they don't have a point guard. You know, they relied on Shangun a lot to move the ball. They relied on Kevin Porter Jr. to be a point guard, which I just don't think he is. You know, Jairus Walker is not a point guard, but it would be too much of a reach in my mind to go for the next point guard on the board here for Houston. But I think even with the, you know, number of power forward types that Houston has, I think that Jarris Walker provides a lot of answers for them that they don't have elsewhere on that roster. I'd I'd absolutely love if he ended up there. I I think the only thing that could present a headache is if they're still seeing Jabari Smith as more of like a four. Um, But I know a lot of people we'll say like, no, he's more of a three. And it's like, well, I, you know, it, it's, it's just the positionless stuff is drives me yeah. crazy these days. Cause I still think he would be like an absolute lethal four if we were looking at like old school positions. But um, also the idea of Shingun, Jabari and Jairus Walker together really sounds fun. Um, yeah. And 
I, I, I love Jarris going to pretty much any team. I think he's going to be one of those guys that helps a lot of teams. So he's going to be really, really interesting because I could see him going early like this. I could see him going later. And, and I think someone's going to get a heck of a steal. So Houston's going to be really interesting. You know, Portland at three is, is a team that's going to get a lot of our attention, but I think Houston at four, they could go so many di- different directions and it's going to make a lot of sense. And, you know, the Harden rumblings are probably going to keep getting louder and louder. So if, if, they're going to bring back Harden and and potentially have him with Jalen Green. Then might make sense to add a little front court depth, get some get some defensive help, and the positionless stuff. I think that you know you can sort of have it where Jarris is like more of a four offensively and a three defensively, and Jabari Smith is the opposite, right? Like you know Jabari is you know being a sort of floor spacing wing on one end and then, you know, being more of an in the paint versatile switching men is on defense. Whereas, you know, with Jairus Walker, you can switch across the two of them perfectly happily, but you know, Jairus's sort of comfort zones on offense are more inside the arc. Whereas Jabari Smith, it's almost entirely three pointers, right? I mean, you know, especially if we're looking at his Auburn numbers where he barely finished it all around the rim, right? It's like, that's what he's going to do offensively. So I think the two of them mesh, you know, the defensive fit is a bit weirder to see, but I think offensively, you know, them and Shangun as a three, four, five is really difficult to deal with and just fills a lot of holes for each other, fills a lot of gaps for the other guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'd love, I'd love Shangun and Walker together. So you, you can't convince me that it wouldn't be fun. I know some people be like, this is a weird roster now. And it's like, well, you just Walker and Shangun. As opposed to now when it's not a weird roster at all, right? And I love Rockets fans, but it's like, just get a damn good player. We'll figure it all out. And the Harden stuff just continues to befuddle me. I don't know what they're going to do, but we'll see what happens. Um, I'm up with Detroit, Nick. Yes, you are. I'm going to just throw a a humongous curveball right here. Ready for this? I think so. With the fifth pick, the Detroit Pistons are going to take Taylor Hendricks. Wow. So this is where I think it could get a little dicey. And I know some people are going to be like, this is way too early. And I think this is a great range in which I think Hendricks could start to really make a lot of sense. Yes, I know the Thompson twins are on the board. Um, Yes, I know Cam Whitmore's there. I know Pistons fans really are passionate about him. I think Hendricks could be a little bit of a wild card here with Detroit. I like the fit a lot. Um, you put him next to Jalen Duran, you got Cade, you got Ivy. I think that's just some firepower to, to roll with. And Hendricks, I still think is going to be one of these safer, like higher floor guys, because I think you're going to come in and, and know he's a rim protector who could space the floor with his shooting and, and just a smart player and, and going to help your defense. So if I'm pairing Jalen Duran and, and Taylor Hendricks for the foreseeable future, that sounds like a lot of fun defense um especially my front court so gonna get a little outside the box there nick going taylor hendricks wow yeah definitely definitely outside the box it's funny i i think he could definitely get looks in this range um five yeah, to I, seven for me i think i think yeah his I, would, wheelhouse. I would have said his wheelhouse is more in the six through ten range and i say that as someone who currently has him 11th on my <laughs> board but you know i i think I don't know. I mean, it's a bit out of the box, but I think that basically is a, is a decision that says we really believe in Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey going forward. We're not going to potentially muck things up with getting a Cam Whitmore in who's going to need the ball a lot or, you know, going for one of the Thompson twins, you know, maybe a SAR makes more sense as more of an off ball guy, but you know, the idea being, okay, you know what? We're just going to rely on those two as the offensive superstars of the future. And we're just going to get someone who slots in nicely to this lineup. And the Hendricks Duran front court is a ton of fun and fascinating. And, you know, that'll, that'll really drive a lot for Detroit to end up making this pick. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I mean, I could see it. I think his range is more likely to be in the next couple picks, but yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and I'm someone who, believes in Cade Cunningham and you know very much believes in Jaden Ivey as we discussed last season interesting yeah I wouldn't I would not have expected that but the more I think about it the more it makes sense I appreciate it that's that's what I do Nick I try to get people to start thinking about some stuff it it I understand people being like what are you talking about I love Whitmore I've got him I got him fifth on my board I think there's some question marks about Whitmore's fit and I could see uh, Troy Weaver's never afraid to go get his guy. I mean, we saw that last year with him going to get Duran and, and 
I just think that this could be one of those really underrated, like, okay, Duran and Hendricks together is a lot of fun. You get the the physically imposing big with Duran who can rim protect. You get the right next to him, you get the floor spacer who could step out and catch and shoot weapon. Then you got Caden Ivey running the show. So, I mean, that's a really interesting dynamic. Now, maybe Detroit thinks they could get him and Indiana comes up ahead of Orlando to get Cam Whitmore. Maybe that's a trade that makes some sense. Um, you never really know. I mean, maybe Indiana throws their pick in Duarte or something. I know he was a name that was thrown around in the rumor mill last year. So I don't know. Makes a lot of sense, but I think Hendricks is going to end up being one of these hot names through the pre-draft process. I think a lot of teams are going to be intrigued with his size and his outside shooting. Well, you mentioned Cam Whitmore as a potential fit for Indiana, and you're going to have that chance because I'm at six for the Orlando Magic, and this is tough for me, but I'm ultimately going to go with Amen Thompson here. Okay. I think that you know this magic team with Paulo and Franz Wagner, you know, they have two guys who can be, you know, not traditional point guard types, right? But guys who can run the offense and score with the ball in their hands as, you know, three, four, four, five hybrid types. I love Jalen Suggs coming out of the draft. I still believe, I still believe, but ultimately he so far in his NBA career has turned into much more of a defensive specialist than like a run the show type point guard. And I think with a man, his athleticism is special, like top, you know, even once he hits the NBA, he'll be in the top X percent, you know, 5%, maybe 1% of athletes in the NBA, just absolutely insane levels of, you know, vertically glide, just everything you can imagine in terms of athleticism. Amen Thompson has that in his package. The shot, uh, the less we talk about it, the better. So let's, you know, move on to talk about something else. But I think with Orlando, they have a very interesting offense building up that isn't really run in a traditional sort of way. And I think that Amen's passing gifts will really help open that up. I think the fact that I'm, you know, less convinced in his shooting and, you know, sort of offense outside of, you know, his passing, I think that with Paulo and Franz, you know, dominating a lot of the offensive discussion, that'll make it a lot easier for Amen to pick his spots and just be more of a facilitator floor runner who can sort of, you know, come along as a wing defender of the future. I think that a lot of the fits are going to be weird for Orlando at six, honestly, but I think of the, of the list of not quite perfect fits that I have in front of me, I'm going to go with a men and just bet on the upside there. They're, they're quickly becoming one of my favorite teams to kind of do a case study about, about this draft, because I think we're going to find out a lot. Like they just have so many pieces on the roster that it's like, we're going to find out how they view a lot of those pieces. Like I still, I still believe in Jalen Suggs. Um, Markel Fultz was great last year for them. Um, We're going to find out how they feel about their point guards, because this is a draft in which they could, potentially get a playmaking ball handler. I think Anthony black could be a wild card there. Um, and I, I think that Thompson, one of them makes a lot of sense if they go there. So I, I like it. I think, you know, Orlando is in a spot where I'd really think they could take a big step forward if they, you know, get two good pieces in this lottery. So they were basically um, 500 the last half of the year. Like yeah, they started they're, they're there. And, and they were basically 500 from there. They're really close. Um, I still, you know, I want to do an Orlando Magic piece, but I still think with one of these picks, they got to get a shooter. And I think at the 11th pick, they're going to be in that range to really have their pick of the litter when it comes to a floor spacing guy. Just a weapon you can add alongside Paulo Franz. Well, hold up, though. 11 is your pick. Don't don't spill all your secrets now. No, you got, no, you got no I'm, not, I'm not. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just saying. Like, the, I think and maybe you target that at six. If someone you're just absolutely in love with, because you don't want to miss out on them, they can go in a lot of different directions. I still think they'll go upside at six, which why I think a man makes a lot of sense there. And then um, we'll see, but I, I like that. I think a men's getting too harsh of evaluation. Like I still think he's going to end up somehow going to the top seven. It's just, who's going to be buying who who's believing. So, um, okay. I'm on with Indiana. I'm going to take Whitmore. I'm going to take Cam Whitmore Villanova. I still love Whitmore. Um, I understand I didn't have him at Detroit, but I think Whitmore at seven would be a fantastic fit with that, you know, that staff um, playing for Rick Carlisle, putting him with Halliburton, Miles Turner's there, um, Matherin. 
You know, it's it's funny because I got some questions on the line about um, how Whitmore could fit with Matherin. And I, I don't know about you, Nick. I think it's a lot better fitting than some might suggest or might think because I think Matherin is a good, you know, Matherin showed last year, and I even thought at Arizona, he can have the ball in his hands and makes decisions and make plays and lethal transition threat when it comes to just pulling up from anywhere. And um, I kind of like it. I think you're adding some nasty, you know, athleticism on the wings alongside Halliburton, who's just a gifted playmaker. Sorry, I'll stop talking about him. Um, but I don't know how you feel. I, I kind of like Whitmore with Matherin. Um, and I think I like him a lot going to the Pacers. I love that fit, personally. I think that Whitmore, you know, Matherin is much better about this than Halliburton. But the one thing that, you know, those two guys don't particularly do that Cam Whitmore does at a really high level is just bully his way to the basket. And, you know, I think that's, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, you know, gets to the rim because he has a, you know, incredible handle and is one of the smartest basketball players, you know, in the league. And he just finds ways to get there, but he's not powering through guys on his way to the rim. You know, Ben Matherin has a lot more of that sort of power his way to the rim in his game, but that's not, that's not his main focus. Like it is for Cam Whitmore. I think that adds an element that would really, really help move this Pacers team along just to have someone who's, you know, every time they get the ball in their hands, they're looking to just destroy the guy in front of them. I think that that's something that the Pacers could really use given who, you know, at this point, their two lead ball handlers are. And, you know, Andrew Nemhart also started a ton of games for them last season. He is not, you know, your uber athletic attack the rim type either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hit me with it. What do you got, Washington? Wizards fans are eager. Uh, uh, this is tough. Um, <laughs> shout out to Metcalf, whose favorite thing in the world is to make selections for the Washington Wizards. Um, yeah, we all love it. And I love Wizards fans, but we got we to gotta figure out this direction here. I really want to, I want to leave this year's draft show and just be like, the Wizards did it. They, they did it. They had a great draft. They, they got it. So... How are you going to make that happen, Nick? It's all on you right now. Oh, boy. Um, there are two guys who I'm deciding between here who are exceptionally different players who would fill very different roles for the Wizards. Okay. <laughs> Good wow. thing is, you know, teams have clocks, so they're on the clock. So we have yeah, a running thanks. clock. Okay. Um, <laughs> really, really appreciate that. That was exactly what Talk I needed. Talk it out with situation. me. Help me help you. Talk it out with me. Who are, you, we're in the war room for the Washington yeah. Wizards right now. What What's your board look like right now? What are the names you're considering? We'll talk okay. about. So there are two. There are two names that I'm considering ahead of everybody else, and okay. those two names are Asar Thompson and Casey Wallace. Okay. I know that you and I feel the same way about Casey Wallace, which is why he's getting a discussion here at eight that I'm willing to bet that a lot of other mock drafts are not discussing Casey Wallace as a possibility at eight, but man, you know, he just helps fill the point of attack for this wizard squad. And, you know, they were a bottom 10 defensive team last year. So that's, you know, something that's, you know, big on their minds. I think that a lot of people, underrate just how incredible Casey Wallace was in terms of finishing at the rim, like you know, shooting 54% on twos as a guard, you know, doing really well at just converting those looks from inside the arc long range shot, you know, it's there. It's not, you know, he's like, you know, mid thirties, right. You know, nothing particularly spectacular to write home about, but you know, good enough that if Bradley Beal is the one bringing the ball up court and Casey Wallace is, you know, spacing out to the wing, you can't abandon him there. Right. And I think that this Wizards team just desperately needs a mature defense first kind of guard. And Kaysen Wallace fills that role perfectly. With Asar Thompson on the flip side, you're, you know, it's a much bigger bet on Monty Morris, right, to continue to be the starting point guard for this team. But, you know, if we're talking about, you know, this Wizards team, what they also desperately need is a second star, right? And I think, you know, you and I have talked before about how Kaysen Wallace is one of the safest picks in this lottery. The Wizards really should make some safe choices just so that they have some sort of foundation at all. But this is also a team that, you know, every year it seems like, oh, we're we're gunning for the eighth seed, right? I think Casey Wallace in the long term is more of a we're gunning for the eighth seed type player. But if you assume that, you know, I don't know, it seems like, you know, that every single moment of every day we have Bradley Beal trade discussions, but uh, this team really, really needs another star, but they also just really, really, really need competent, mature voices in the room. So not to say that Asar isn't, by the way, that kind of player, 
you know, just <laughs> get that out there before the SR heads come after me. But uh, this team just needs to be stable in some sort of form or fashion. And I think that's what Casey Wallace gives them. So I'm, right. I'm going to do it. There we go. We talked it out. There you go. You, you we got did here. Perfect, perfect job right there. Okay. So Kaysen at eight. I like that fit a lot. Um, it makes a lot of sense to me. I love Kaysen Wallace. I think, you know, Washington's got to figure out the Bradley Beal thing. Um, and if you're going to keep believing in that, that's fine. But you got to start surrounding them. And they need a point guard. They need yes. a safe point guard. And I think Kaysen Wallace would be that. So, um, okay. Nine, Utah. I'm going to take another, I'm going to, no, I'm going to take another guy that, that what? No, 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 no. Um, I'm going to take a guy that I think could be in the conversation for Washington too. I kind of am warming up to the idea of him going to Utah. I'm going to take Anthony black. I, I can't get, we've had some mocks at no ceilings with Anthony black getting out of the top 10. I don't, I don't see it. I don't think it's going to happen. So I think Utah would jump all over that potential if they had the ninth pick and he's still on the board. So I'm going to take Anthony Black there. I like the size. I like the defense. I like the potential for his offense, his outside shot to get unlocked. And if that shot does get unlocked, then we're talking about a heck of a player. So, Yeah, I mean, Utah will provide the spacing around him that he'll need to be his best self. And, you know, the shot can come around. Hopefully it does. But if it doesn't, you know, the team surrounding in, in Utah would be able to help sort of mitigate those spacing concerns. Yes. All right. I'm on the board here at 10 for the Dallas Mavericks. I didn't take him for the Wizards, so I'm going to take him here for the Mavericks instead, Asar Thompson. I think that, yeah, I mean, you know, this is, again, you know, this is a this is a Dallas team that needs another star. Luka desperately needs the help. We don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie, and the less I talk about Kyrie, the better my mood, so I'm going to move right along here. So with Asar, you know, he is someone who, you know, it's interesting because he played alongside another six, seven, you know, ball dominant kind of guard in literally his twin brother. Right. And figured that out, you know, pretty quickly, you know, one MVP of each of the last two OTE seasons. I think, you know, I didn't get the chance to see him in person like some of the no ceilings crew did, but I think his shot has really started to come around this year to the point where, you know, I'm not saying it's a strength by any means, but it feels like a lot less of a weakness than it did, you know, at the start of the season. And yeah, I mean, if I'm Dallas getting someone who, you know, I have us our seventh on my board, right. You know, getting someone in the top half of the lottery at 10, especially someone who really has that, you know, superstar potential upside that they really need alongside Luka Doncic. I think this makes a lot of sense for Dallas. I think Asar would be a fantastic addition for Dallas. I, I really do. I think, I just think he could go earlier. I, I could see someone buying into the off ball stuff and they think that he's a fantastic connecting piece on a roster. But I think if Dallas could get him, like obviously Luca's going to have the ball a ton. So makes a lot of sense to get him someone that can thrive off the ball. And Sars just seems like a guy that really understands how to play the game and, and how to make the right passes, make the extra passes. Um, he doesn't make always the the sexiest play, but he makes the right plays. And I do think the shot, like you're saying, is is trending in the right direction. So I like that pick a lot. Um, All right. Before we get on to the remaining four picks of lottery, we're going to take a quick break. And then Rucker will be back with the second lottery selection for the Orlando Magic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. All right, 
Rucker, we're at the final four picks of our lottery mock draft here, and you're on the board with the Orlando Magic, who they selected Amen Thompson with the sixth pick. And now we'll see what else they're going to do to fill out this roster of very interesting pieces that we'll see if we can find a way to connect them here. I started off with the hope of Amen being a connecting piece. What direction are you thinking of going in with this 11th pick? Um, so I'm, I'm going to have a couple options on the board here. Like I said earlier, I'd really like Orlando to get shooting with this 11th pick. So um, I'm going to take one name that I think some might think it's a little earlier compared to the other bo- names on the board, but I'm going to take Jordan Hawkins. Damn it. Me and, okay, me fine. and Nick absolutely love him. So um, I still think Hawkins has potential to sneak into the top 10. That's some of the buzz you've been hearing. And, and it's going to be really interesting because he's one of those names that I could see him just lighting the net on fire during workouts and getting some buzz. And I think if Orlando could potentially get him at 11 to pair with whoever they get at six, it's going to be a great night. So um, I like that, that wrinkle in their offense. Now you get a a dangerous movement shooter who can be a catch and shoot weapon. So yeah, I'm going to go Jordan Hawkins of UConn to the magic. Yeah. I mean, I think you could tell by my immediate damn it reaction to that, that I really love that pick. (laughs) I think people are, sleeping on Jordan Hawkins as just how spectacular he can be. I mean, he's the best off ball movement shooter in this class. I don't think it's particularly close. Honestly, I think there are people that would campaign for Grady Dick. I think Jordan Hawkins hasn't beat by a pretty significant margin. And I've been campaigning basically all year for Jordan Hawkins as an off ball defender. He does some crazy stuff when he's defending off the ball, just covering every gap you can imagine for this UConn team. And, you know, with Adama Sanogo down low and Donovan Klingon down low, this is not a, you know, UConn, I mean, they obviously won the national title, right? It's a pretty complete squad. But, you know, this was a team that, you know, had a lot of defensive pieces. And yet the player who most consistently impressed me with what they were doing on the defensive end was Jordan Hawkins. I mean, he would he would rotate down to the paint and just cover centers like it was nothing, right? He'd, you know, it's like almost Marcus Smart-esque in the way that he just did not care about attacking bigger guys. And, you know, this is someone who, unlike Marcus Smart, you know, is a bit thin in the frame, whereas Mark Smart has just been, you know, built like a brick wall basically since he entered the NBA, right? You know, with Hawkins, there's even potential for maybe he can do more down the line as a, you know, switch everything, cover everything kind of defensive piece if he puts on weight. But even if he doesn't, just what he does to opposing defenses off the ball, just running around screens, absolutely tearing people apart from day one. Every single person who's assigned to cover Jordan Hawkins in the NBA is like, ugh, that guy? Seriously, that's the guy I got to run around with for 48 minutes? Absolutely. I think it's going to – I think it's going to give a team a dynamic weapon. I mean, we've seen guys – the Warriors obviously have two of the best movement guys off ball in the league with Steph and Clay, And, you know, this is another type of monster when when it comes to that conversation. And I think – Jordan's going to run people to death. And, and I've joked before, like there's going to be a nine year NBA vets. Like, Oh, I have to guard this kid tonight. Like, come on. Like he's driving me crazy. So obviously I'm hoping an NBA team lets him just do his thing. And, and you create part of your playbook for Jordan Hawkins to, to be a yeah. maniac off the ball. Um, so I, I just really like him going there and, and I continue to believe it would not shock me if he somehow goes in the top 10. I mean, I, it could make some sense for Dallas to take someone like him. Yeah. Um, Dallas definitely needs the extra shooting. They, yeah. that could make a lot of sense for them. Yep. Um, okay. See, hit me with it. Who do you got, Nick? I'm going to be boring and make the exact same pick that I made for the thunder on the topic thunder podcast that I was on a couple weeks ago. I'm going to go with jet Howard again. I just think he is the exact kind of player that the Oklahoma city thunder of the last two years would look to take, you know, someone who is comfortable with the ball in their hands, someone who's comfortable without the ball in his hands, someone who makes good decisions both on and off the ball, someone who also provides something that I think the Thunder desperately needed this past season, which is just any semblance of size. I mean, Jalen Williams, you know, shout out to Jalen Williams, friend of the program. You know, he did his best defending as a four a lot of the time, but that's not a lineup construction that you should be, you know, relying on all the time. And I think that with Jet Howard, you, know, you get someone else in the rotation who's 6'8", right? You know, someone else who, and, you know, it's funny that I'm saying this because by far Jet Howard's biggest weakness is his defense, which is, you know, maybe where that size equation would come into play. But, you know, if you put Jet Howard out there on this Slender squad, he's going to be dragging power forwards out to the three-point line. He's going to be scoring over them. You know, he, he can 
give and go. You know, he can get the ball and drive by, you know, slower footed guys. And if you leave him open beyond the three point arc, he will make you pay for it. And I think also the Jet Howard that we saw the last couple months of the season was not the Jet Howard we saw the first couple months of the season because he had injuries to not one, but two ankles. Right. So I think that, you know, he's sort of fallen off in terms of discussion around, you know, draft boards. And I think maybe there will even be some people who think picking him at 12 is a bit rich, but I don't think that at all. And I think he makes a ton of sense for this Thunder squad. I think he's also similar to the kind of players that they've drafted over the last couple of years. And I think he fits in nearly perfectly with that squad with Chet Holmgren coming back. Chet will cover up a lot of Jets weaknesses, let's say on the defensive end. And I think it just makes a ton of sense for the Thunder to get someone with size who also does all the pass move shoot things that the Thunder have been looking for the past couple of years. I, I get it. I understand why there's some people out there that aren't, you know, high on, on jet. It's a little confusing to me, but I understand why there's some hesitancy, but I think we have to remember he was playing banged up. He was injured, a movement shooter with two bad ankles from injuries. Like that makes life really hard. And, um, you know, we, a lot of us have rejected the jet to go to the thunder and people are like, why that's too early. And I'm like, I, Presti's never afraid to take people too early. This is the guy who took Usman Jang 11 last year. And are he, we took, sure J- he took Jalen Williams right behind him and everyone yeah. was like, what? And it's like, yeah, he's not afraid to go get his guy. So I think Jet there is a fantastic fit um, because they have all like it. Jet doesn't need to be the heavy lifting guy. He needs to do what he does best. And, you know, if he was six, five, I would get some hesitation, but he's going to be six, eight, six, nine. You're adding that with everything else they have. That makes all the sense in the world. So I like it. Um, I'm going to be quick with this one. This is still becoming one of my favorite fits. I'm going to take Kobe Bufkin to the Toronto Raptors at 13. I wow. okay. think that makes a lot of sense. I think Kobe Bufkin's the type of player that front office has targeted before. And um, I know there's some big names on there. I know Keontae George is on there, but I think Kobe Bufkin makes a lot of sense when it comes to the length, the position of need. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with that. I, I I think the world of them. I think that could be a little curveball of everyone being like, "Whoa, passing up Keontae." Yeah, I think Kobe Bufkin's got the tools. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because you know I've mentioned literally in articles for NoSingsNBA.com before. Check it out. That uh, you and Metcalf basically have been you know on Bufkin for a while and. It took me a while to get to the same place as all of y'all in. Now you're putting in lottery. So now once again, you've jumped higher on Kobe Bufkin than I am, but I get it. I mean, you know, with Bufkin, he's someone who proved that he can just fill a lot of gaps, right? You know, great defender, you know, pretty solid shooter, great at attacking the rim, makes good decisions with the ball in his hands. You know, maybe not quite a point guard yet, but if you see that in him, you know, you could, you could reasonably see him becoming more of a point guard than a combo guard in the future. But also, as you mentioned, when we were talking about scoot, it's becoming a combo guards league. And, you know, that's less of a, that's less of a sort of problematic positional designation than it used to be. You know, it's like we used to talk about, you know, tweeners at multiple positions. And now it's basically just really tweeners are only like four or fives because any other positional designation, it's like, eh, you can play a little bit of both, whatever. Right. And I think with Bufkin, he can play a little bit of both, whatever, you know, and if in this situation he goes to Toronto, you know, he's probably going to be groomed as more of an off ball guy, unless, you know, Fred Van Vliet goes and they just say, all right, you know, you're our point guard of the future. This is, this is your team, right? I could see them making that choice, but I could also see a world where Van Vliet sticks around and they say, okay, Kobe, you're an off ball guard. And he says, great, perfectly, perfectly happy with that. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to, you know, how do they feel about Van Vliet? If they think Van Vliet's out the door, then it's like, okay, we we need to get someone in the backcourt that could we could groom and run things. So, um, you know, and like I, I said before, like they could go in a number of different directions here. But I think Buffkin checks a lot of boxes with their draft history of like what they would want to find. And I think he's got some real serious upside. I, I think he's going to go lottery. I just, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. All right, last pick of the lottery here. I'm up for the New Orleans Pelicans. This is a very interesting board that I've got here in front of me. You know, you mentioned it for Toronto at the last pick. You know, Keontae, I think, is the quote-unquote slider at this point, you know, in terms of, you know, him maybe not going in the lottery if I go a different direction here. I could also, 
I don't know. I'm finding it hard. There are two guards that I'm deciding between for them. Between, I think I'm going to go Keontae here over Jalen Hochefino. I think ultimately, you know, this Pelican squad was, you know, nearly a playoff team, right? If Zion had played more than 29 games, this would have been a playoff team. And, but I don't know. I mean, part of me is like, I don't want to select another guard right after taking Dyson Daniels last year. But I think, you know, Dyson Daniels is more of a, you know, sort of quote unquote pure point guard in the sense that he's not really, you know, a, you know, he creates shots for others, not necessarily as much for himself. And I think that makes it a lot easier for me to see Keontae as the fit there. Cause I think there's a lot of similarities between Jalen Utrevino and Dyson Daniels in terms of their games. So I think ultimately Keontae can, you know, come onto the squad, learn behind CJ McCollum, who it's hard to imagine much of a better mentor for Keontae George and where he can go. So yeah, I think I'm going to go with Keontae here. I just think that, you know, BPA, he's best player available on my board right now, but also I think the roster construction of sliding him into that Hornets roster makes more sense than trying to fit Jalen Hood in there or, you know, going for someone further down my board. I considered Grady Dick here, but I think I would just much rather take the chance on Keontae than just, you know, go with Grady Dick and sort of assume, all right, we're going for, you know, a player who's maybe safer in terms of like fit within a rotation, but you know, this Pelicans team is on the verge and I think someone like Keontae could really help push them, you know, over the barrier between sort of bottom end of the play in and like maybe actually making a playoff push. Yeah. I love him ending up there. I think that's a fantastic fit for, for him and for the Pelicans, um, you know, grooming him, they got CJ McCollum. He could kind of take him under his wing. And I like that a lot. I think Keontae's got the shot, the chance to go much earlier. He's looked fantastic yeah. in pre-drafts. Looks like his conditioning's awesome. Like he's lost some weight. Um, it's just, this is one of those drafts where you could love a guy, but he could go later or earlier. It's just, it's just crazy. So if he ended up at 14, right at the end of the lottery, I think that'd be a steal for the Pelicans. So before we wrap this up here, anybody that you're surprised sort of fell out here, I think, you know, getting Keontae at 14 was probably the biggest guy who would have fallen out of this picture. But is there anybody who you are surprised ended up being in this lottery grouping that we had here? Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of crazy because I think like Kobe Buck, Kobe Buffkin, Jet Howard, Jordan Hawkins, Keontae, and, um, Grady Dick. I think all of those guys could end up in the lottery. And I think there's just going to be an odd man out. Like, I think that's kind of how this draft is shaping. I mean, and when we get past the lottery, you get to 15 to 30 and there's probably 20 names that could go there or 25 names that could go there. And, and it's just, there's going to be some odd man out. So it's one of those drafts where if you got multiple picks in the first round, it might be a blessing because the value might fall down the board. You might be able to get some great value. So um, I think Grady Dick's probably the biggest name for me yeah. because I could see him going right outside the lottery. I could see him going top 10. I, I think it's just one of those, like, who are you in love with? Like it just draft those teams are going to be just like, okay, we, we we're buying. And Colby Jones is another name. I could see him sneaking up in the lottery and I could see him going in the teens it's just yeah kind of all over the place so it, it's really going to be interesting i also considered colby for new orleans i think he just you know isn't you know elite in any particular area in the way that Keontae is but you know, just fills so many gaps for the pelicans that he just makes a ton of sense as someone who you can reliably say this guy is going to be a rotation contributor i think that Corey and nathan would also try and burn me at the stake if i didn't at least mention bryce sensible at some point mm -hmm. in this discussion yeah another one another name like there you go another name it's, it's just gonna be crazy I, I love how enthusiastic you are about sensible yeah yeah no, another, I, another I, name I, i'm i'm moving him up but i mean sensible hood Shafino, like we can add the names that i could all see going in the lottery and it wouldn't shock me but you know, we're getting close to 20 names right there for 14 picks. So, and, and with Victor and stuff. So it's like, okay, I think Victor's automatic. So then you're it's yeah. less than 14. It's just crazy. Just crazy. It's going to be a really fun draft year. And it's going to be a fun couple of weeks leading up to it because there's just going to be buzz all over the place. All right, Rucker. I think 
we have talked enough here. So why don't we close this one out? Tell everybody where they can find you. Plugs, plugs, plugs. You will have an article going out shortly after this podcast is published. So why don't you tell the world about that too? Yeah, I'm going to have a, a draft related piece tomorrow at no ceilings um, sort of a mind melter. So I'm, I'm still perfecting it hopefully getting Nick to edit it later and he doesn't have too big of a headache, but um, you can find me on the line specifically Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker and um, go check out no next Monday. Our draft guide is getting released. We appreciate everyone's patience. We're adding another section to it. I'm very excited about it. Thank you as always, Nick, for having me on. Um, now I'm going to go watch the Celtics break my heart. So appreciate it. All right. Well, I will let you go to do that. He is Tyler Rucker. He already mentioned you can find him on Twitter at Tyler underscore Rucker. And apparently the cash register also can be found at Tyler underscore Rucker. I hit the soundboard a little. I, I hit to try to hit mute. I hit the soundboard. So, you know, sorry, everyone, <laughs> but money in the bag Celtics. Yeah, perfect. That's <laughs> that's the hope you needed going into tonight. Anyway, he's going to be rough. Yeah. Well, you know, at least your team is still competing. That's something. <laughs> And that's not even something I could complain about for the last 15 years. So, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're moving on up. There we go. Uh, anyway, you can find me on Twitter at NBA Johnson, and you can find all of my written work at NoCeilingsNBA.com as well. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That's always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback regarding the deep dives portion of the podcast, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.